Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. I'm speaking today to Glenn Yopis. He says, my goal is to prepare organizations for leadership in the age of personalization, to help companies and their leaders evolve and stay ahead of the rapid changes in the workplace and marketplace. He is the author of The Innovation Mentality, Six Strategies to Disrupt the Status Quo and Reinvent the Way We Work and Earning Serendipity. Four Skills for Creating and Sustaining Good Fortune in Your Work. What was the event or experience that got you interested in health design? Sure. So what got me interested is that in the United States, and this is now happening all around the world, but in particular in the United States, this seismic cultural demographic shift has taken root. In other words, large cultural segments of the population started to create critical mass. And this critical mass uh, has changed everything in this country. And what I mean by that is, you know, today you have more Hispanic, African-American, Asian, and other populations that are making the country more diverse than ever before. And what I realize is that in healthcare, and you know this, uh, Moyes, healthcare started as a cottage industry. And with the demands and in changing needs of the industry, whether that be in uh, government regulations or reimbursements from payers, it's become more and more incumbent upon healthcare organizations, as we know, to move and change their business models from fee-for-service to value-based care. In this transition, playing a greater emphasis on the individual has come to a premium now. And as a result, the industry that was once a cottage industry now has to operate like a highly sophisticated Fortune 500 institution. And as a result of this cultural demographic shift, it created a lot of disruption in healthcare because healthcare was really born in what I call the age of standardization, when it was really about the business and or the physicians in this on this hand, really defining how patient populations were going to be served regardless of what their background or heritage was. And so when you ask the question about what is our superpower and how did we discover it, we realize that this cultural demographic shift of populations that have never really felt welcome into the healthcare system really propelled this notion of the importance of healthcare leading in the age of personalization, where it was really about letting go and recognizing that they no longer had control of how to serve the individual, especially as patients became consumers. So yeah. I'll stop there to answer any questions you have, but that's what got me involved in, the, in, in healthcare. Yeah, it's interesting that you frame it in that way, because when we look at the healthcare landscape, the one thing that has become apparent is that we know less and less about our patients as doctors. We know very little about them relative to what we did in the 70s and 80s. And certainly when I worked in the UK, we knew a lot more about patients than, than we do here in Australia or, or I'm sure that you do in the US. How does that fit into your thinking? It fits right in. I mean, it's clear that 
not only, here's an interesting point, not only do we not know our patients, but we really don't even know our communities. In fact, we don't even know our own employees. It's as if, and this is a term that I picked up uh, while spending almost 25 years in the consumer packaged goods industry. It's almost as if this has become, this has transpired into an industry of order takers. In other words, there's so much demand that it's not about how to get more demand. It's how to better serve the demand that we're getting. And as you well know, it's about how do we control the readmissions of patients so that we're not adding and fueling costs back into the system. And, you know, part of what I see that is problematic because we don't know our patients and don't know the people that we serve, both from a workplace and marketplace perspective, that we're going to fall so deep into what I call the standardization trap, the way we've always done things historically. And as a result, we're going to see more challenges in access to healthcare. We're going to see a greater prevalence of chronic disease states. And, and let's not forget that today it's not just healthcare that's in the business of healthcare, but now that patients have become consumers, all employers are in the business of healthcare. In other words, we're, we've reached a point of critical net mass where we've basically asked patients to fend for themselves. Mm. And so in making that, in this radical shift, now you're talking about two big shifts that are happening simultaneously. You're the shift from fee-for-service volume to value-based care, and also the changes in demographics. And if you add another layer and dimension to that, that means that we now have to see patients as consumers. You're talking about a seismic transformation in how a healthcare organization operates. Yeah. You're talking about the eye of a perfect storm. That's exactly right. Well put. So if that is the case, I mean, looking at the landscape as it is at the moment, we, and particularly in the United States, you're spending far more on healthcare than any other country, and yet the results are not as good. What do you think is happening in a country where the consumer is king? Well, that's the issue. Today, the consumer is king. You know, I've studied this for over 12 years, Moyes, and what I've realized is that the consumer never really had any influence. We let them believe that they did because we felt in large institutions and their brands have always made consumers feel like they had influence. But it hasn't been until this seismic cultural demographic shift has hit in full steam that we're starting to realize that whether you come from a diverse background or not, the individual has never been in control until now. So this is another part of the, like you said, the perfect storm. I like the way you said that, that it's not just patients as consumers, but now it's patients as consumers that have influence and have a choice. And that is why you now see folks like Brookshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, and Amazon transforming the healthcare industry and other outliers saying, wait a second, this is an industry that doesn't have, number one, either the leadership, the operational or business savviness 
to transform the industry in a way that gives the consumer complete control because that's what the consumer needs, especially when you consider, Moyes, that these consumers have really never understood how the healthcare industry operates and how it makes its decisions and what their real intentions are to serve them. Yeah, you're right. And as a practicing clinician, I recognize that very clearly. And the issue for me is that it isn't just that people are becoming ill, but they seem to be less able to recognize what it is that they need to do to make themselves well. And the answer isn't often in in the drugs and in the consumer products that healthcare is outselling. It's often in changing lifestyle. So how do we approach this issue from your perspective? I think we all know that preventive care is at a premium. But I believe that we also know that our lifestyles, the demands that we have, just the way things have changed, the pressures, the stressors that we're all experiencing more than ever today are at an all-time high. Where am I going with that? See, a large part of this is actually being driven by non-healthcare industries. In other words, we're at a time now where we're experiencing a really severe tension point in the economy. And and I'm going to explain my point of view on it, is that I believe that the tension that we're all feeling is the tension that we're experiencing between the age of standardization where the business defines the individual by doing the things that we've always been doing, and the age of personalization, where the individual defines the business and requires us to think differently about how to allow one's individuality to be part of the economic and wellness solution. When you're in a non-healthcare industry, It's about transaction, transaction, profit and loss, pressures from Wall Street. When you're in the healthcare business, it's about prevent, trying to focus on preventive care. But in the end, everyone's mission is about life and death. So you have healthcare industry and all the other industries. And I've often wondered, why does healthcare as an industry almost exist in its own silo, when in the end, healthcare is the most, should be the most prepared industry to serve personalization. Where am I going with this? I believe it's the stressors placed on people when they go to work in their daily lives in these institutions that are about do more for less, go, 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 make us more money, where we're pushing people so hard as widgets that's making countries around the world more and more unhealthy. The environments that we live in are more unhealthy than ever before. And yet we're relying upon these healthcare institutions that now realize that they now have to get out in front of it. My point is this, I don't believe that the healthcare industry has the organization nor infrastructure to get out in front of this health epidemic that we're living in. 
But I do believe that what it's learning about how it can lead and serve through greater intentionality and personalization through genomics, patient centricity, personalized care, that we can start teaching larger institutions how to better lead in the age of personalization. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that I believe that as much as people think healthcare is not getting out in front of this health epidemic, in the next 10 years, it'll be the industry that teaches all other industries how to lead in the age of personalization. Because it has to, while because it's about life and death, while other industries are more interested in profit and loss. Did that make sense, Moyes? It does. And, and I think where we could focus it more specifically is let's take the problem of obesity. And that's a problem that's out of control. And arguably, probably, uh, forgive the pun, but the biggest problem we have in healthcare at the moment. There appears to be no end to the rise of the obesity epidemic. We are currently standing at 60%. In some countries, in some countries, it's going to be as high as 80% within the next decade or so, 80% either overweight or obese. That is a major problem. How do you think healthcare can contribute to tackling that issue, given that the issue has its roots in what you say, you know, in poor management of staff and in the stresses that are on people uh, from day to day? Well, first of all, let's not forget a few important data points. Remember we talked earlier about the cultural demographic shift? Yes. When you think in this country, in the United States, Hispanics, African-Americans, these are the two most susceptible populations to heart disease, cancer, but more so obesity. Let me give you this simple statistic. By 2043, the United States will be a majority minority with Hispanics and African-Americans growing faster than any other population in America. If those two populations are the ones that are more prevalent to chronic disease states like obesity, America could technically be the most unhealthiest country in the world. So the question that you're asking is, how do we get out in front of this? Well, when you have two large populations, and it's interesting because people like to categorize populations and generations like millennials and Gen Z and baby boomers. But did you know that millennials and Generation Z represent the most diverse populations in this country? So you're talking about populations that are coming up through the pipeline that will be most more prevalent to this. How do we stop obesity, diabetes, uh, cancer? We start getting these populations and educating them, making them part of clinical trials, making them feel welcome in a system and listening to them and getting to know them as individuals so that they can help us understand what methods need to change to better serve them. Today, there's a significant gap in education and understanding of those individuals that are out in the forefront of these chronic conditions. Mm. Okay, look, that's an interesting perspective. But let me challenge that a little bit uh, in the sense that 
uh, we, you know, we, we often hear this argument that education is the answer, that you just simply need to go out there and educate people. People were not educated in how to spend their money, and yet they spend their money in all kinds of ways. They've been nudged, if you like, to do that. There are very clever techniques that have been used by the consumer industry to actually get people to part with their money. Can some of these not be used? I mean, the idea of sitting down uh, you know, in a classroom with people and saying, all right, let me tell you about obesity and what needs to be done here, it doesn't sound as compelling. Well, it's not. And, you know, education goes beyond the classroom with this particular topic. I mean, when I said earlier that we need to do a better job as an industry to know our communities and to know our employee populations, I mean, today everyone needs to become their own self-advocate for care. I mean, just keep in mind what's happened. To go from patient to consumer, you're asking an individual to assume more responsibility for their health and to understand how to do that. Today, the systems don't exist to help individuals not just be a self-advocate for their care, but to begin feeling more welcomed into a healthcare industry where they've never felt comfortable. I mean, let's think about this for a moment. I mean, today, what we're really asking is for physicians in healthcare institutions to make a concerted effort to know and account for the realities and the values of their individual patients. I mean, you're now asking physician populations to think differently about how to serve the individual. So when we talk about education, it's not just about educating the individual patient. It's about transforming the way how physicians have always delivered care. You're asking physicians to create a more intimate relationship with a particular patient. Let me give you an example. When I ask this question to physicians, I'll tell you what they say about their institutions. We require physicians, nurses, and caregivers to complete cultural competency training to best serve their diverse patient populations. Or we have strategies for engaging with patients in a way that invites them to tell us their whole story beyond how they're feeling that day. Or how about this last one? We have organizational processes to make sure our patients and their families feel seen, heard, and respected by us. I mean, you're talking about creating fundamentally an entirely different method for how to serve patient populations. Now, there are medical institutions which have patient family advisory boards where they're now asking their family members to listen to how patients are serving their loved ones and providing feedback. I mean, you would think that this is taking us back 30 years when we're actually having to ask our family members to help a physician or caregivers or nurses teach them how to better serve their family member because they may come from a different heritage or they have a certain religion. I mean, forgive me for getting into the details, but I think it's important that people understand the severity of what it means to help not only get to know patients as individuals, but also, and this is the final comment I'll make on this, is how to create the systems to make sure that 
that healthcare provider is welcoming at every level to every individual. Because today, they think that those systems exist, but when you ask patient populations, they still feel uncomfortable. Yes, that's a great answer. And it resonates with many of our speakers uh, who've been on this show. Let me now take you to the future. Let's go back to the future, if you like. And can you describe where you think we're going to be in the next 10 years? Because change has to come. We cannot afford to continue on this same route. If I may share the, the mission, or if you've, as you've described, you know, the current project or discovery path that I'm under. On October 9th, uh, Moyes, my organization is having a summit in Huntington Beach, California, called Leadership in the Age of Personalization. And your listeners can learn more at ageofpersonalization.com. And what we're tackling here is how does the healthcare industry uh, get out in front of leading with personalization in mind? And when you see the CEOs that are going to be speaking from Cleveland Clinic, uh, City of Hope Medical Center, University of California at San Francisco uh, Medical, large institutions and CEOs that have said, we have to change our mindset as organizations. In other words, we are very much directed to become more transformative. But what does that really mean? We say that we need to create more digital transformation, but what does that mean? We say that we need to be more value-based. What does that mean? And what we're learning is that we're tackling these issues in silos. We're tackling these issues, recognizing that we may be looking to find an answer for the short term, but are we preparing ourselves for the long term? And I'm just talking five to 10 years when patient populations are going to expect more from us. So it's not just about what are we dealing with in the here and now, but the future tells us that we must accept the strategic implications of personalization. And what we're learning is that today, healthcare systems and uh, providers are just not prepared. So I'm sharing this because we are starting a movement amongst both healthcare and non-healthcare industries, because we've learned the following. We've learned that healthcare, the healthcare industry, and particularly healthcare uh, providers are very insular. They're not inclusive enough across boundaries. In other words, we don't partner enough and collaborate enough to try to tackle the issues that we have today to be more prepared in the future. But because now all employers are in the healthcare industries, in the healthcare industry, we're trying to bring healthcare and non-healthcare organizations together so that they can be much more inclusive in their thinking so that people start identifying what the real macro issues are. Because what I've learned is that while we all understand that we need to provide better quality of care and we need to provide it faster, we need to cut cost out of the system, we're starting to realize that the bigger shift of who our patient population is has created disruption because we're not prepared to serve them now. So the objective here is how do we bring together healthcare and non-healthcare influencers to really prepare us for the age of personalization? That sounds very, very exciting, Glenn. 
and we very much hope that you will come back and tell us how that panned out and what you think in concrete terms is the way forward for the future. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at www.journalofhealthdesign.com.